you should probably spend some time with investors uh, because actually that's something we try to do every day is think like an investor and I always remember what I learned at Index around what makes a company successful because there are recipes actually to make companies successful around all the ingredients you need to put together in order to do that. So there are so many things you need to think about constantly. One thing is around how to have as much uh, as much usage as possible on your platform. Another one is how can you generate network effects. Another one can be around uh, how can you generate trust in no time in a category and perhaps spending more time at the beginning signing like very famous name instead of like just capitalizing for more AR. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. All right, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, CEO of SaaStock. I am delighted today uh, to be joined by uh, Eleanor Crespo, who's the co-founder and co-CEO of Pigment. Uh, welcome, Eleanor. Hello, Alex. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast. Um, uh, you know, this we're having you on the podcast in between some good news that uh, you shared last week um, uh, with Pigment, uh, which we'll uh, uh, dig into around fundraising. Uh, and then also, like, next week, uh, you're coming to Dublin. Uh, you're one of, I think, 157 speakers that will be sharing some great lessons on stage at SaaS.2022, so I'm really excited to to meet you in person in Dublin and uh, also listen to your content. So thank you very much for for taking time out to to, to be on the show today. Um, And uh, as I said, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person, but like getting to know you a little bit better on this podcast and and for the audience as well. Uh, So let's start off uh, with yourself. Uh, Who is uh, Eleanor Crespo? Yeah, thank you so much again. So uh, I'm Eleanor Crespo, co-founder, co-CEO of Pigment, as you mentioned, and we'll come back to what Pigment is about and uh, and why we built a SaaS for enterprise. I think that's going to be a big topic today. Uh, I'm French, as per my accent. I'm from the Alps, a uh, big skier. I love tartiflettes. And uh, I um, actually, uh, a little bit about my career. So I'm an engineer by background, worked for Google, uh, for the EMEA CFO, then joined Index Ventures. Um, I was at the board of companies in the likes of Alan, Spendesk. I invested in Swile. So I learned a lot about SaaS actually while I was Index and then founded Pigment uh, with Roman Nicoli, who is my co-founder and co-CEO, who was co-founder and CTO at Criteo. Uh, I'm the mom of twins that are six, uh, 17 months old actually today, turning 17 months today. Uh, so very busy with that and Pigment, I have to say but very proud at the same time uh, to now have kids. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. A couple of things there. Tartiflette. Now, I've heard of this. What What is it for those that don't know? Oh, tartiflette is the best. So tartiflette is potatoes and cheese, potatoes okay. and reblochon with yeah. a bit of lardon. So a bit of uh, bacon, basically. And it's it's delicious. If you want, Alex, I will invite you once to, to have one. It's, uh, it's, uh, I- it's, it's, you cannot miss that. I would gladly eat that. It definitely sounds, I mean, as you said, you're from the outs. It sounds like something that you'd have on a cold winter's day, uh, maybe with some old wine or, or just some normal wine or something like that. But, uh, and, and you were on the board of all these amazing French, uh, tech and SaaS companies. So a great, uh, you know, grounding and education and how 
SaaS works and, you, you know, I guess kind of seeing behind, uh, I don't know, like the, the closed doors of like what really kind of goes on and the good things and the bad. Um, and now, you, you know, you found me Pigment and we're going to, uh, you know, go on to next of what Pigment is. Uh, but at the same time, like how, how old or like how long ago did you found Pigment? Because as you said, you're, you're twin, you've got twins now who are 17 months. And I think Pigment is relatively a, a sort of young company. So was, did they kind of like the two worlds collide of being a co-founder of twins and being a co-founder of a SaaS company? And why would you do that at the same time? Yeah, so no, uh, Pigment was created in 2019. Uh, so we started the end of 19, a little bit before before COVID. And, uh, and actually, uh, uh, so the Twins WC came later. But it's, you know, there is never, I mean, there is never a good moment to think about when to have kids. The good moment is for you personally, right? So I think it's uh, as long as you are determined about what you want uh, and at what moment you think is the right time for you, then you make it work around it, right? So that's my Definitely. philosophy at least. It, 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 exactly, and, and pretty much the same thing sort of like happened with me in terms of uh, my my other half. She was pregnant when I wanted to leave my full time job to start Sastock, and she said to me, "Can you wait?" You, I was, you know, we had I had the only income in the household at that time, and she was like, "You know, can you wait until maybe the baby is like two years old or something like that?" And I was like, "Well, I think you know, I, if I wait, I'll probably never do it. Now is the time, and you, you know, we we had to go with it. And I, I remember the first year, you know, the first year of a startup is very difficult, and it's about survival and keeping the lights on. But then, when you're really tired because you haven't slept because you've got a baby, it, it makes it even harder. So a lot of cans of Red Bull were drunk, I think, uh, that year. Thankfully, no more Red Bull, um, so it's probably not not very good for you. Um, and and what, what is the founding story? So why, why did you decide to leave the, the VC world and become a SaaS founder? Um, you, you know, and you met your, CT, your, your, your co-founder and, you know, what is the founding story and what does Pigment do? Yeah, so I have always wanted actually to create a company. So I knew even by joining Index that uh, my number one goal was to learn about the best founders out there. Really, like I knew that uh, uh, it was like a magic opportunity to learn from the best founders in the world. And I was super lucky actually to be able to join this uh, incredible venture fund. Um, and the story was very simple. Uh, when I was thinking about creating a company, I knew I wouldn't do it on my own. And again, that I think is very personal. Huh? It's uh, uh, not everyone wants to create a company with someone. Uh, and then I knew obviously what I was lacking and what I was looking for. And, uh, it, it happened that I knew really well Romain because Criteo was actually a, an index portfolio company. And when we decided to create something together, we brainstormed a lot about what we wanted to do. And uh, we had to actually capitalize on our our biggest assets. I think that's always a, a good way to think about creating a company for people that are looking for a topic. I think it's about thinking first about the market you want to tackle, how big it is, and, and make it match with your ambition because you can have a small ambition, want to tackle a niche and, and go like, you know, hands-on into, into that niche, or you can have a super large ambition, want to work like, you know, build the next Salesforce or work there. And, have to find a very large market. And I think we had this big ambition with Romain. We wanted to do something massive. And we knew that probably the biggest asset that we could put together was to have one of the greatest engineering team in the world. And so we needed to find a topic that, first of all, we knew really well. And second, where we could capitalize on that in a big market. And um, 
with all of these elements uh, taken into account, uh, we decided to go after uh, what we do with Pigment, which is a SaaS for planning. And over time, it's basically a business database for any team out there. Today, it's very much what we call an enterprise management, uh, performance management tool, uh, competing with very large players in the like of ACP, Oracle, Anaplan, Adaptive Insight, Planful, etc. And really, like the, the the goal of Pigment is to help company with everything regarding planning, FP&A, budget, forecasting, scenario analysis, etc., etc. That's the first goal. And over time, the vision is to become a business database for every team. And in order to compete in that ecosystem, we knew that obviously the best product can win, and you need an amazing engineering team to do that. So that's why we went after that topic. Very cool. And so you started in 2019. Can you give us a little bit of data on the company um, now, you know, some sort of uh, insights, metrics, how many people, how much revenue, uh, how much you've raised, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, sure. So we are we are uh, 170 people today. So we are headquartered in France, uh, but we have offices uh, in London and in New York. And we have approximately 40 people right now in the US because it's, it's becoming a, a, our most important market. Uh, we have uh, grown uh, basically, uh, or our, our growth uh, has been 5x in the past six months. Uh, so we are growing pretty rapidly. And in terms of customers, we did 10x in the past uh, 12 months. Uh, so we have a, a pretty interesting growth. Uh, we went after very big logos. So we went after we have customers in the likes of Figma, Carta, Brex, Gong. I'm sure some have been on the on, on the podcast. And I'm actually very happy to be on stage uh, next week with the CEO of Gong. Uh, we have, I think, a lot to share around going to the US. But I think uh, really like uh, the biggest achievement for Pigment is that in a very short amount of time, we, we managed to become uh, the next generation leader of a category that had been trusted by, by players that had been here for the past 20, uh, 20 years or more, right? So that's really, I think, one of the biggest things we've done. Pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, uh, I mean, great. So 5X ARR in the last six months, 10X on customers, uh, fantastic stuff. What, what can you share then around this great growth that you were sort of experiencing? What, what's kind of a lesson? What, what, what's something that you're doing right that you can share with the audience? Sir? Yeah, sure. So I think there, there are a couple of things, but I would say that one of, one of the lessons is always like when you think about building your company, um, you should probably spend some time with investors uh, because actually that's something we try to do every day is think like an investor. And I always remember what I learned at Index around what makes a company successful because there are recipes actually to make companies successful around all the ingredients you need to put together in order to do that. So it's hard to actually combine in one. So that's why I'm saying like talk to investors because it really depends on the market. But there are so many things you need to think about constantly. One thing is around how to have as much uh, as much usage as possible on your platform. Another one is how can you generate network effects? Another one can be around what, uh, how can you generate trust in no time in a category and perhaps spending more time at the beginning signing like very famous name instead of like just capitalizing for more AR. Like there are so many 
many elements like that that I would say are key in order to set you up for success. And this always like, and this is also what I encourage a lot, uh, and it will help you also for fundraising, is spend time with the best investors in the world early on. I have an example like the Encore Store team, Encore Store, it's a fantastic company in France. It's not SaaS, but it's a company that probably spent a year speaking to investors before picking their topic. And I think that helps them a lot finding a recipe for success. And so for me, it's really around understanding in all the companies that have been so successful, if I take Datadog, Snowflake, ServiceNow, all of these companies, what, you know, what were the ingredients that make them accelerate so well? Product-led growth, all these topics, right? Yeah, no, amazing. Great, great advice there. And you say a lot of investors, they've either done it or they've certainly seen it uh, themselves. And so as a founder, and if you're a first-time founder or second time, but, you, you know, it's a kind of get that benefit and just surround yourself with people who'd say, well, look, there is this kind of proven path. Uh, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. This is how all these companies have done it. And it's very same with, you know, similar with some nuances uh, as well, right? So, um, yeah, uh, definitely the, the value of being with investors over and above the, the capital, of course, which uh, uh, which helps. So yes. I wonder, is, is, that, is that something that, like, bootstrap founders then are, that they're missing... Like because they're avoiding investors, um, they're not getting you know as much of like this is how to do it uh, from that network from people that you know have seen it. Um, I would say that you can be bootstrapped and still spend time with investors. Nothing prevents you, you know, even if you're, you know, you have a good ambition, uh, investors mm. will always be happy to talk to you, build a relationship because you never know. Maybe, you know, in three, four, five years down the line, I have the good example of checkout. Uh, Guillaume Pouzaz, he stayed bootstrapped for a very long time, right? And, and, and I think, you know, um, you can always, always learn so many great lessons from them. Maybe another lesson uh, that could be interesting also for the audience is around hiring a very strong executive very early on in the adventure, being like not being afraid of hiring senior people. I know it can be counterintuitive because sometimes you also want to be a bit scrappy in your approach. But I can tell you, especially when you build enterprise SaaS, because trust will be so important and because you need to take shortcuts, if you can surround yourself with people that are experts in what they do with a ton of experience yet being very hands-on, that's a very, very good recipe for success. At least that worked really well for us, both from the tech and product perspective, but also from the business standpoint. Awesome. And, and, and last week, there was a big fundraising announcement. I, I remember a figure of north of 60 million. I don't know if that, that was correct, something like that. Yeah, so we raised uh, 65 million uh, with uh, Meritech, Rob Ward, that is actually co-founder and managing partner at Meritech. So for context, for people that don't know about Meritech, it's an incredible fund uh, in the Valley that has invested basically in any big enterprise SaaS company. So really, like you can think about one, they have invested there. This is really what they do. And they are really here to help us build the next giant in enterprise SaaS. And Rob Ward is one of the most uh, knowledgeable and, and, and brilliant SaaS investors in the planet. And that was collected by IVP and with the former CFO of Dropbox, Ajay, that actually brought the company public. And the reason why he wanted to call it the round is because his biggest nightmare while building Dropbox and taking the company public was actually the topics that we are tackling with Pigment. It's about actually doing the IPO on spreadsheet and doing the IPO with Excel and, and, and making mistakes that, you know, that he paid for a very long time afterwards. He can actually share his story. And actually, Pigment 
is solving a lot of growth challenging that these companies are facing in the likes of Dropbox. And so for him, it's such an interesting topic. Very cool. Congrats on, on, on that. What would you say, like, what's a lesson from this uh, recent round of, of fundraising that you can share that enabled you to be successful and to kind of get the valuation that you wanted in a, in a difficult time to, to raise capital and get the valuations that you want? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. And I have to say, one thing where we are very lucky is that we are also a tool that resonates a lot in these difficult times because people today, because of what's happening with inflation, potential recession, energy crisis, everything that obviously is going on right now, people are thinking a lot more about what they can optimize in their company in terms of cost, in terms of environmental cost, financial cost, resources in general, and doing scenario planning around what if Obviously, the situation gets worse or gets better, and you need to be very agile. And usually, when you are in a spreadsheet, you are not very agile. So having a tool like Pigment helps you be more agile. And this is why we also got a lot of interest, is that people are coming to us because they need a tool right now to help them navigate these uncertain times. But a good advice that I can give to the audience here is that the reason why we did a round was not that we were actively raising because we were not. We raised last year and we still had all the cash from last year. But what happened in between last year and this year is that something I do a lot is spend time actually with investors. Coming back to the lessons I was sharing, the reason why I do that is one, I learn a lot. Second, it's very important to build this relationship early on because investors, if one day they want to invest, they don't like to see a picture one day, you come to them, you pitch something and you're done. What they want is to know you as a person, know the team you're building, know how things are evolving, see if you what you say you committed to, you have actually achieved. And so building relationship early is fundamental for them. But guess what? It's also fundamental for you. Why? Because first you get to know them. You, you always forget when you're doing fundraising is that it's a 10 years wedding. And it's a real wedding. These people are here with you at the board. If you have a board, uh, they are here with you, pushing you, you know, to your boundaries, etc. And so if you don't get to know them before, don't do your own background checks on them. You might end up in very difficult situations because they will obviously help you with the governance of the company. Secondly, I think not only that, but also you can get a lot from investors. And that's what people sometimes tend to forget. And that's what I do a lot. The reason why we build relationship early is because uh, they actually help us with hiring, exec hiring, and customer introduction. And this is fundamental, especially in SaaS, to actually get your first customers from your existing network. And investors have a very powerful network. So long story short, the round we didn't raise, it was preempted. And this is, I would say, this is like... This was amazing for us because, you know, it, it comes at a very uncertain time. But the reason why we were able to do that is that these investors had trust in us and so that we were involving in the right direction. And guess what? SaaS is a great ecosystem because you know that these companies can survive in crisis time if they do things right. So I would really advise everyone, especially in this timing, even if no round will happen now, to actually spend a lot of time creating these relationships because that's easier than for these investors to pull the trigger on their own. And I love the preemption, the preemption in general, and investors love it too. In, in terms of time spent, and just a last point around this then, how much time would you, would you spend or advise spending getting to know investors from a, you know, a busy CEO that's, whether they're venture back to bootstrap, so like how much time would you advise? That's a good question. I have to say on my side, I do at least two investors meeting a week. Okay. 
And uh, on top of that, we do a couple of things. We have introduced what we call the investor leaderboard, where we look at and we have a real, like, literally I have some people in my team tracking what investors are doing for us. So because when I want to choose if we have, like if one day we want to raise again, I want to also choose my partner based on how much he has had the willingness to help us. So we actually spend a lot of time tracking the ROI of, okay, this person has been so helpful. They made this tremendous introduction. They have done this, this and that. And it's, uh, it's fantastic. It works really well. I would advise everyone to do that. Pretty cool. I like it. Uh, can you share who's number one on the leaderboard? Oh, but actually I can tell you that really Rob Ward from Meritech had done so much. He has rolled up his sleeves so much before uh, actually doing the round. So mm. I'm not going to, it's hard for me now to share, but I can tell you that there are two US funds helping yeah. us tremendously. And it's very smart of them because, you know, they are helping us with key candidates hires right now. Yeah. And if they manage to do that, if they manage to bring us our head of global sales or whatever, then like, I mean, for me, like I will always be thankful, right? It's transformative for your company. And so it's a win-win on both sides because they know that then, you know, uh, they, they, they get like, you know, massive advantage. And also they set up uh, us for success. So it means, you know, they even de-risk uh, even more the investment. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I, I like it. First time I'm hearing it, but I, I wonder like how many founders are thinking like you and, uh, and doing similar things, but great, great advice there. And so uh, Pigment is a SaaS for enterprise from day one um, in Europe uh, specifically. I'm not sure necessarily about, uh, about the US, but I, th I think similarly, um, a lot of SaaS is born um, for SMBs, right? And then the companies generally will move up market, you, you know, uh, more often than not at, at some point. So why did you decide to build a SaaS that was enterprise from day one instead of, B, uh, instead of uh, SMB? Yeah, so very good question. I think the first reason is because our market is enterprise. So, you know, when you build, it's, the comparison is simple. When you build an ERP, if you want to compete with Workday on NetSuite, and of course, like you are designing it for enterprise. In Autopic, it's the same. Uh, really, like, you know, when you build a planning platform, an enterprise performance management platform, you know that basically the processes of dealing with your budget in a spreadsheet or dealing with forecast in the spreadsheet or managing workforce planning, managing sales planning, sales compensation in a spreadsheet, it breaks when your company gets bigger. And the problem is that it's not a topic where you can build for SMB, uh, design a tool for SMB. That's what we learned when in the design phase with Romain, is that there is so much to build if you want to actually like create the most powerful engine out there that day one, you need to think about that. There are some categories where you can start designing for SMB and then, you know, you obviously have a bit of debt, but you, you, you can graduate. Here, it's really because, as you can imagine, we are replacing Excel. Excel is a very powerful tool in a way, even if it doesn't handle like very large amounts of data, the power of the formula, what you can do, etc. If you want to bring superpowers and bring a lot more value than Excel, there is a, obviously a very, very big step to take, especially for large companies that, you know, need like tons of data connectors, tons of security, of governance, etc. So for us, we had no choice, but day one, thinking and designing the tool because the market was there to actually design it because tomorrow we sign all the cloud 500 and fortune 500, right? So if we want to get there, we knew that day one, we had to design and it's much easier but it requires, and I can explain, it requires a lot of effort and it re there, there are a lot of downside by doing that, of course, but I can tell you that it pays off a lot when you launch your product and that you compete with the big players, right? 
Let, well, let, let, let's have you explain then in terms of your methodology for, for, for building a SaaS for enterprise for those yeah. that are thinking of doing it or maybe they're going through it at the moment and obviously yes. kind of learning from someone that's had great success. Yeah. So, of course, if you realize the same is that the biggest chunk of the market is there and that you have you have no choice but to start designing there, then, uh, uh, yes, there is a clear methodology to follow. So the first thing I would say is that uh, you need, with, with Romain, we spent... I would say so we spent the first six months interviewing people, just only interviewing people to understand actually if we had to bid for enterprise or not, and also then what it means to bid for enterprise. And then we spent another nine months designing what it means by talking to everyone in our ecosystem. So speaking to customers, speaking to advisors, to partners that are, you know, implementing solutions in our ecosystem, to people that are directly, you know, advisors, investors that have done things in that ecosystem and that are ready for the next generation. We did that to really understand all the shortcomings of the ecosystem. So if I had to do the same, let's say to compete tomorrow with uh, the ERP out there, I would really try to understand that every single customer that is using today Workday or using NetSuite or whatever, why is it not working for them? And it's it's not easy because these guys are amazing, doing so well and taking that topic is, is you know, is very big. It's like, you know, if I was telling you the same about Salesforce, it takes so much time. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is obviously, I think um, you need to understand the resources you will need then to build that. And so for us, uh, we knew that uh, what was very clear is that the two things we needed to solve was one, uh, the super powerful modeling engine that would create like very powerful uh, formula. And the second is a fantastic intuitive UI. That were the two things. And so when you know that, then you have to find the resources that can completely move the needle there. And that's super hard, right? So what do you need then? It means that you need to be a very good fundraiser. And I have to say that honestly, when you build a SaaS for enterprise, you have no choice but to spend a lot of time fundraising and understanding what it means to be a good fundraiser, because guess what? It's very hard. I can tell you that at the beginning, when we launched and we are doing our seed round, uh, not everyone was believing in what we were saying because it was so theoretical. We didn't have uh, an MVP to show or anything. It was just like, this is the vision. It will take us a long time. Uh, it will take us probably two years to launch the product, but this is the reality. We have no choice because of these reasons. So, and here, it requires a lot of perseverance to actually go uh, and do that because guess what? It's really not easy. But I would say that again, here, uh, I, I have sometimes a question about uh, founders, about like, what do you optimize for? I would say that here again, like try to raise a big, uh, uh, an amount that is big enough in order to go for a few years because probably if you design for enterprise, you will need some very like very large funds in order to do that. The second point around that, also the funds, is because you need to hire, as I, I mentioned before, if you build for enterprise, probably you need to hire senior talents because you need very good engineers and you also need great go-to-market leaders because when you start and if you have to go to market and speak to companies that have already IPO'd, uh, you probably need to build trust. That's going to be very important. And so if you don't have people that bring that trust and say, look, you know, I have followed that uh, that uh, that company for a while. Uh, I can tell you that yes, they are very young, but I believe in that company for this, this and the right reason, and this is what makes us so great today. It's going to be hard. So I would say these are the things you need to do in parallel. Uh, put a very high bar in, in 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 hiring, and then trying to understand how long it will uh, take you to launch. Because obviously, that's how much runway you will need when you raise your your, your first round with almost nothing on the table. 
How, how big was your seed round for the audience to get an understand when you talk about you need a big round early on? Yeah. Um, and then how long did it take you to launch, uh, yeah. obviously with a seed round in the bank? So we did a seed round of 3.5 million euros. And then uh, actually we got lucky because uh, uh, not even a year later, we raised a large Series A with Blossom Capital, Ophelia. Yeah. Uh, and so we raised uh, another 20, uh, 20 plus million on top. Uh, but I have to say that, again, like when we got on that and also advice, uh, by the way, like never raise when you are out of cash. Like every time we, we actually got this round preempted, we were not even raising. We still had almost all the cash in the bank, but we were very lucky and fortunate to be able to raise that next round. But I have to say that it's exactly what I was saying before is like try to always have a lot of cash in order to actually have like runway for the next three to four years because building for enterprise take way longer than building a three months MVP that you launch and, and test and try and generate revenue. Very cool. What about biggest challenges uh, that you've had so far and how have you overcome them? Yeah, so biggest challenges, I mean, there are so many of them. Uh, I, I don't even know where to start. I would say uh, I, I talked about one, which is fundraising. So as I said, like uh, uh, it will probably require more time, especially at the beginning uh, uh, when you have nothing to show and, and, and not a because I have to say that the usual playbook for SaaS is very much, if you look in Europe, there are a lot of SaaS companies that have been designed first for SMB and then go up market. So the playbook is usually like, okay, in your first year, uh, you do that, then you get to the 1 million of ARR, you raise your Series A, et cetera. And doing the enterprise way is probably a bit counterintuitive here. So fundraising is harder. Then the second challenge, I would say, uh, is the problem of trust that I was raising uh, and problem of trust with our, your first customers. Because again, like, uh, so I can tell you for us, we, 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 we are in a very difficult audience. And I was, this afternoon, I was talking to someone from Duo Security and we were sharing notes because they had the same issue is that when you sell to a head of legal or to a chief security officer or to a head of finance as a startup, it's hard. There is like, there is no, I mean, like if I'm, if I'm a CFO tomorrow and you ask me to buy a tool, a startup like two years old that has zero customer, Wow, you know, you are the gatekeeper of the of the finance data. You, you are judged on making zero mistake, having everything to perfection here. And then like finding these early adopters and gaining trust is so hard. So I would say that one way to overcome them is very, uh, uh, very uh, not so simple, but it's very straightforward. Is that first you need to find early adopters. And that takes a very long time because and this actually what, what can help you here is the design phase where you have started to build relationships with dozens and dozens of customers. Because in this customer base, then you will find the one you will, they are not your friends, huh? because your friends are not the early adopters, especially of a tool like that. Huh? So here you have to find people that are forward thinking and that are like, well, you know, maybe I can take a leap and try to build, like, trust that team, right? That's the first thing. The second is, again, I was telling you about the trust that you bring from your hires, from your investors. You have to think about who can trust you and help you build that trust in your network. And your first customer convince them with that. It's a bit like when you do some hiring, you know, it's like at some point, maybe you need your investors or advisors to call customers and say, look, okay, it's very early. You are going to be a beta tester here. You are taking a risk, but I can tell you, please trust this team for this, this and that reason. And I can tell you this product will work over time. Maybe not today, but please do that. So that's, that's another aspect. And then obviously it's about 
doing the right commitment and making sure you tell the truth to your customer all the time, that you tell them, look, guys, this is where we are today. This is what we commit and where we will be tomorrow. Trust us in that journey. This is the roadmap. I trust and, and, and making sure that everything you say, you are very conservative so that they you know, build a real relationship with you. And that is very hard, requires a lot of time and a lot of effort. But if you manage to do that right and make them feel like co-founder of your project and make them feel like, okay, you know, it's not going to be easy for you guys, but we will rally around you to make it work. Then I can tell you that, you know, you can keep the relationship forever. But it meant and for us at the beginning, to give you a concrete example, is that the first customers, we put the entire team behind to make sure that things we didn't have in the product, we could fix by bringing them differently, right? So putting the best resources, even like engineers, we are doing like some customer success work to make them super successful and to make sure that no matter what would happen, even if the product is not there, the report that they needed, if they needed to do a closing by end of month or budget or forecast, it would be there no matter what. So that's, uh, and that, that, that's super hard, but trust will convert your customers into raving fans. Oh, great, great lessons and congrats on overcoming those challenges. Uh, so it doesn't sound easy. If I, if I was going to build a, a SaaS product, I'd probably go SMB, but uh, um, it, it, it does sound like obviously you, you can, you, you know, uh, let's say give the bigger ARR if you get it right with the, uh, with the enterprise, right? And, uh, and see your, your ambitions are, are pretty big and the, uh, um, the product and, uh, and everything that you're doing is kind of matching that. Um, so congrats on that. Let's move into the, the quick-ish fire round. Um, what one thing has moved the needle the most for pigment? Uh, so I think two things uh, have moved the needle. I would say the number one is focus. So making sure you stay focused on a couple of things because with what we are doing, we can sell to many different personas. We can sell to so many different markets. We can go like tech, we can go financial services, we can go Fortune 5. And if you are not focused, especially when you build for enterprise, but it's the same for SMB, actually. If you are not focused on these are the, the only things that I want to do in this quarter or this semester, whatever, it's very easy to get lost. So I would say that's the number one thing. And the second is hiring the right exec at the right time and people that have a combination of having built big things before, uh, thinking strategic while being very hands-on, with a very big maturity on the business and at the same time, the lowest level of ego and the biggest level of humility. Uh, and very like very big team players that can work hand in hand, product, business, very pragmatic about what we do. So I would say these are the two things that have really made a difference. And on top of that, having people that never settle in what they do, meaning that we are always trying to push the bar higher on what we do. Yeah, if you know where those people are, let, let us know where, where to look for, for them. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, huh, it takes uh, so much time. And again, that's the CEO. Huh? That's the CEO. And, and I'm failing every day at that. Like so many people are, you know, closing the door for always. And by the way, I think there is always a good reason to close the door, probably because you are not done for that. It takes so much effort. You know, after, I think, you know, for me, like the biggest challenge as a CEO is, is hiring right now. It's uh, now that we have started to, you know, gain a good customer base, etc. We need to bring the next wave of executive and it's hard. Let's not like, you need to spend probably as a CEO more than 50% of your time hiring. And it's so hard. It's really, really a difficult one. Yeah, no, definitely. What's the best advice you've received? Uh, so here, the best advice I've received, um, 
I would probably come up with two advice. Uh, one is around, it's something that I learned, uh, I, I worked for a year at a company called JC Deco. So it's probably, I, I don't know if you know JC Deco, it doesn't matter, it's advertising. It's a company yeah. that I, uh, it's a global company doing really, really well globally, funded in France. And it's interesting because it's a family business, okay? So it was created by the dad and now it's run by the three sons, now actually two sons out of the three, whatever. And what I loved about this company is because it's a family business, they build for the long term. And I remember the decision that they were taking were always for the long term. And I found it so powerful compared to other companies that I met later or that I joined later where, you know, they are public and they always have the pressure of the next quarter or because, you know, the CEO will change in four years. So he has his own, you know, agenda for the next four years and it switch. And I love this idea of the long-term commitment. And this is really what we try to do every day with Pigment is how can we build for the next 30 years? And guess what? I don't know if I'm here in the next 30 years, but at least I want to build everything and I will try everything and my best to be here in 30 years, keep building that company. And if you actually set the right vision and say your ambition to the world and explain why, why you're here for 30 years and what you are trying to build for the next generation, then people will rally around that and it has a fantastic network effect on the people you are trying to, like, you will bring around you. So that's the first thing. And the second one that I think is very powerful as an advice is the commitment. I think that uh, we are never precise enough when we do commitment as CEOs or even in your teams in general. And that's something that can really break the way you progress. So what do I mean there? Maybe it's unclear. You are running when as a startup, everything is broken all the time. You are running at a hundred miles an hour. And so you are throwing bottles everywhere. We should do this. We should do that. And, you know, sometimes some get, you know, okay, let's do it. And sometimes, you know, you just forget, etc. And I think that something we don't do well enough is to commit ourselves to, to what we do and what we don't do. It goes back a bit to the focus, but it's really about every time we want to do something, we put someone to lead it. We put precision in the timing of when we are going to do it and an acceptance around this is the result and this is the timing and this is the person leading it. It sounds very obvious, but I can tell you it is not at all when you are running at a hundred miles an hour. And if you manage actually to get that right, you get more credibility as a leader, you get more trust and everyone gets better results because everyone is aligned on what we do and don't do. And especially if you start putting commitment and timing around commitment around everything you do, I can tell you, you will probably say no a lot more because you have so many requests in the day. And if you don't even have a good idea of what you can take and not take, you will never be able to focus. And actually having this precision is a commitment will help you say no to a lot of things. So I actually created a, a framework around that I, I called Altar. Um, I, I will publish actually uh, in the next few weeks uh, a blog post about it probably by end of month uh, on the Pigment blog about that to explain what it is. But I think it's a, it's a key topic for every founder to think about that every day, to be very organized in everything you do and very decisive about your decisions. Well, on the, the, the long-term business kind of vision and, you know, 30 years time, have you ever had a daydream about the, the twins being co-CEOs in 30 years? Uh, <laughs> I, actually, not at all. You are the first one asking me that. And actually, you know, 
the last thing I want for my kids is to force them into any direction, right? So really, like actually for for them, I, I just want them to to be as creative as possible and to decide of their own future. And hopefully, I can guide them a bit. But I absolutely do not want you know to have any thoughts about that. And you know, if one of them wants to do it, or the two, you know, great for them. But I, I really that's not the way I would uh, envision it. I would say uh, in the long run. What What's the hardest thing about being a CEO? The hardest thing is, I would say, uh, the fact that uh, you have so much in your plate that you have to know that I think, you know, especially for the first probably, you know, se seven years of the company, that you are not going to live a fun life, okay? It's not going to be like it's it's very you are a monk here like you are really a monk i could live in a monastery with my twins it would be the same and so it means you have to do a lot of life trade-off and i know it's not easy for everyone but i think it's the price of being successful at the same time you need um you are running here a very long run so you also need to be very decisive and organized in your own life because if you start and you work just too hard every day, I can tell you it's not going to work either. And it's not going to work because even your team will look at you and say that they cannot follow you in that. So it means you have to have very specific rules about what you do, what you don't do, how you organize your day. But uh, that I found very hard because, of course, you do a lot of trade-off with your friends. You have to be very, like clear about what you want to do because for instance my twins i want to see them every day and spend a lot of time with them so how do you organize your personal life with that and how do you make sure that you still do a couple of things for you i found that very hard i don't know about you alex but that's uh, that's uh, what i find difficult yeah uh, i mean it's a great topic like i think for the first three years i kind of neglect i certainly neglected myself and, and possibly even my family a little bit by being absorbed in the business and never kind of mentally present at home and not thinking I didn't have time to go to the gym and things like that because I had so much to do. Yeah. And then, I'd, you know, I probably it, it sort of impacted many things, you know, home life and my health and, and things like that. Uh, so now I'm much more on the monk lifestyle as, you, you know, we're, we're, we're scaling the business. Um, and, and, and as you say, like I, I am like my friends sometimes think I'm a bit boring that, you you know, We'll go around, maybe they're having a party and I, I decide, well, I'm not drinking like today because I need to be fresh and I need to have like, a good night's sleep or like during the week, um, you, you know, I do try to finish work about six uh, and then I'm down like having dinner with the family, doing bath time with the kids, trying to get them down by 8.30, which sometimes is a struggle, sometimes it's nine. Uh, and then I, I'm pretty tired because I get up like early, like five o'clock. Yeah. So maybe I'll have like 30 minutes with Gemma. And I'll be saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to bed. Uh, and, and that's it. And I kind of leave her staying up watching TV and I'm, I, and I'm, I'm off, uh, you know, sleeping and, uh, and so on. But like, I find that that discipline and the specific routine that I have, like during the day is, is just in, in, a necessity, right? For the energy and the focus that you need for the business, for what the business needs. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, that's me. But this is a, a nice segue. And, and thank you for asking the question. But in terms of your daily routine, uh, so tell me a little bit about that and what that looks like. Yeah, and actually resonating, uh, what you said resonates really well with what I'm going to tell you now. And I have to say also, 
what you need to understand also as a CEO is that there are two things that can happen to you. First of all, so many startups fail, right? And it's a, um, you need not to neglect your own life because you always need to be able to take a step back and take it as a game as well to say, look, maybe tomorrow the company fails. And so it, it cannot impact me so hard because otherwise you know that it's going to end up very badly for you. So you, it's always very important also to, to be able to take a step back around the fact that, you know, I think for me, like the biggest worry if pigment was to fail one day, hopefully now, you know, because of the cash we have, we are secured, I think forever, we never have to raise again, pass to profitability. So great for us. But I have to say that my biggest worry was not necessarily about the business itself, but more about my employees, making sure that if one day it fails, like what happens to them. But the rest, I would say like business in general, you should always treat it as a game in order to actually be able to take a step back. And to go to, to my daily routine, I have to say that uh, this is also uh, very personal because you have to manage uh, it's uh, something i learned from google is manage your energy not your time what does that mean i i am not a superwoman i, I cannot wake up at 5 a.m actually in the morning that's not me like i need to sleep a lot and uh, I, I know like there are a lot of people probably uh, that need to sleep you know like me like eight nine hours every day otherwise you're not efficient and this is the way it is right so at the end of the day also try to understand who you are really and what are your maximum capabilities that you can put in a business and make sure you respect that. So for me, like the main constraint, are, I want to see my kids. Uh, I want not to work on weekends because that allows me to spend an entire weekend with my kid. And actually, when I'm doing that, it even gives me like some breather and makes me think about things I would not have been thinking about if I was two hands down in the business. Actually, that helps me to take a step back. And during the day, for me, it's simple. Huh? It's like, you know, when I wake up, I spend a lot of time with my kids, go to work there by 9.30. Every day I live at 6.30. All of my employees have the full flexibility on their agenda. They need to know that, you know, it's important. Family time is important and I need to prove that to them, right? And then it's about you know, taking care of the kids and then working again in the evening before going to bed. Because, of course, I have a lot to work uh, as a CEO of the company. But at least being very deliberate about the fact that morning, evening, I spend time with the kids. On top of that, another advice I can give is around traveling. Uh, I think COVID changed a lot of things here, and I'm sure everybody knows, but I haven't been traveling much for two reasons. First one is global warming. I don't think we should take many planes today, not for everyone in the company, and there is no reason to do that. We closed all of our first deals in the US, not traveling once. I haven't been in the US for the past five years probably now. It's been five years. And I don't need to travel to the US to build my team there. I don't need to travel to close customers. And I think it's absolutely necessary to think about how to decrease our, 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 our carbon impact uh, today, right? So that's the first thing. The second is also family time. So again, like you have to make trade-offs and it's once again, like your kids, you will only see them grow once. For the people, it might be about sport, about friends, about whatever. Never neglect what's important for you in your life at a certain point in time so that you spend the time there. And I think today, in today's time, we don't need to travel as much as we used to. So that's something that everybody should probably uh, think about more because so much can be achieved on Zoom today. So or Google Meet or whatever. Like, uh, so that's, that's really what I would encourage. Um, definitely. Um, super interesting. And, and the fact that you have this US office, but you haven't traveled out there, but you are making it a success and, and not, as you said, also having to, uh, to go and meet customers in order to kind of close those deals. And I, I think they're... Like we learned sort of during COVID that actually we can do business remotely and do business this way, but it does feel that the world in, in some ways, many people are kind of then 
veering back into kind of like old habits and in some ways because I think after two years of being locked down some people just kind of wanted to get out there and travel again and experience that um, but hopefully people won't go you know like fully as back as it uh, as it was as you said you know for the, uh, the very good reasons that you mentioned. Um, so final question like obviously next week uh, the 18th of October you're speaking and uh, with uh, Ophelia Brown um, from Blossom Capital and we've got uh, uh, a guest, uh, Amit Bendoff from Gong as well, joining uh, your session. Tell us, uh, what will you be speaking about and what are you looking forward to at SASDOC in, uh, in Dublin? Yeah, so look, so the, the session, the title is Breaking America, the reality behind scaling to US success. So it's, uh, I think, um, uh, I love this topic because we know that it's not easy. And for us, it's not easy for many reasons, like uh, uh, how to set up the right company culture, how to sign customers in the US, how to build the right team in the US. So I absolutely love this topic. And Gong is a very good example because it was one of our very first customers in the US. So uh, I'm very happy to be on stage with Amit. I think Sastock is a wonderful event, uh, given the quality of the, the speakers you have been able to put together. We have so much to learn uh, from companies that are coming in the likes of UiPath, Miro, Personio, all of these companies are at, at very different phases. But I think in Europe, uh, we've seen incredible SaaS company blossoming in the past few years. And uh, I mean, UiPath, the success that they have had, obviously, in the US is unseen, right? And and the scale, you know, they managed to grow 5 million ARR to 30 million the next year to then, obviously, like tremendous growth. I was following them uh, at Index. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the lineup is just so impressive and it's just such an inspiration for all the new generation of founders. And I really hope that thanks to Sastock, actually, you have even more obviously seed series A company that can actually, going back to the very beginning of the podcast, not reinvent the playbook, but get so much inspiration from these guys. And I can tell you that with Pigment, this is also part of my time that I try to do two meetings a week, companies, the likes of, I don't know, like MongoDB, uh, I told you like uh, today I was meeting Duo or whatever, like all of these great company service now, Salesforce, etc. trying to learn the playbook from them, like not reinvent everything we do. There is no reason to, these guys have done it so well before us. Very cool, very cool. Um, good stuff. And uh, uh, so with all those great CEOs coming to, to Dublin, hopefully there's going to be a lot of good conversations happening. And I wonder how much business, I'm sure a lot of business getting done. Uh, as well between uh, companies, a good good opportunity uh, in Dublin. Absolutely. Yeah, I hope you. I will uh, sign all the speakers out there. That's also my goal. Okay, good, <laughs> good, 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 good. I'll ask you how you got on uh, afterwards. Um, uh, fingers crossed. Well, Eleanor, like, thank you so much for being a great guest. Really loved this episode. Uh, learned so many things, and uh, especially you jogged my memory around what Tartiflet was. Um, but uh, that wasn't the main takeaway. But uh, but thank you so much, uh, Eleanor Crespo, uh, co-founder, co-CEO of Pigment. Looking forward to seeing you in Dublin next week. Thank you so much, Alex. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.